0: Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton.
1: And my name is Adam Jones. Today we're taking you through the best bits of Hell Yeah or No by Derek Sivers. What's worth doing?
0: Uh, The first ever episode we did of the podcast was Anything You Want by Derek Sivers. So we've come around for uh, another one of his books. He, I guess, got really famous off that idea of Hell Yeah or No. We're going to go into some of the more nuance around what's worth doing. It's not just saying Hell Yeah or No to everything. It's a specific tool in a specific circumstance.
1: Much like anything you want, it's a pretty small book with a lot of little bangers that have got a bit of a punch from a philosophical angle, business angle, and a whole bunch of different angles, I guess. So as a little story to kick us off. Derek Sivers, he told his old life coach that he really wanted to start a new company. The coach who said, look, Derek, no, you don't. <laughs> Sivers said, yeah, I do. Come on, mate. This is really important to me. But the coach said, no, it's not. Saying something doesn't make it true.
0: Yeah, Sivis says, Look, you can't just ignore what I'm saying. I know myself. I'm, I know myself well. I know what I want to do. And I'm telling you that this is really important to me. And the coach says, Yeah, I'm going to ignore what you say because I'm just going to look at your actions because our actions reveal our true values. And Sivis pondered it for a while. And uh, he was thinking, You know, well, I suppose it is true. A lot of people say they want to learn a new language but never do. They say they want to start a new business but they never start. They say they want to quit smoking but they haven't quit yet. What's going on? And so the coach says, If you really want to do something, then you're probably going to do it.
1: So matter what you say, it doesn't really matter about that because your actions is what really reveals the truth. And there are two smart reactions to this. Firstly, you can stop lying to yourself and just admit what your real priorities are or you can start doing what you say you want to do and see if it's actually true.
0: So basically, for the rest of this episode, we're going to talk about those two things. We're going to either prompt you to change the things that you say that you want to do or we're going to actually say, well, go and do them and find out. Man, I used to absolutely hate capsicum. Absolutely hate it. And it was one of those things that if uh, there was one, like one small square centimeter of capsicum, I used to say the whole meal tastes like capsicum. Mum uh, tried to be clever. She tried to sneak it in. She wanted to, you know, be healthy to eat a few more veggies. So I used to love spaghetti bolognese, and she tried to sneak in just a few little slithers of uh, of capsicum. But I could always taste it, and it would really tick me off because uh, she just ruined a perfectly good meal. But then one day. I was at a party and a mate brought out just like dips with just wedges of capsicum. And mm. I thought, well, that's a, that's a weird thing to do. But it, I was a bit peckish. So, I grabbed a wedge of capsicum, put a bit of dip on it, chomped down. And I thought, actually, it tastes pretty good.
1: Mm. So, you, pretty good. you've changed a fair bit there, actually. With pizza, that <laughs> that was. I was a bit the same when it came to corn. I oh, it's Slightly different. I used to be quite neutral with corn. And then when I went to live in Turkey for six months on exchange, they started just putting corn in everything, (laughs) like your your eggs in the morning and everything like that. And and the only two (laughs) words I remember from uh, Turkish, please correct me, anyone listening from Turkey, but Tidak Misir. It's like <laughs> no, no corn. By the end of it, I absolutely hate corn compared to what I did before That's Turkey. funny.
0: Basically, I guess what we're saying is that uh, you change over time. The things that you used to love, you can grow to hate. The things you used to hate, you can grow to love. And, uh, you know, I used to cling to this thing that I hated capsicum, but now I'm like, actually, capsicum's pretty good. I had a capsicum for breakfast and uh, it's just one of those things that we can change. And, of course, they're pretty trivial examples, but our uh, other interests change as well over time.
1: Derek Sivers, for example, the author, at one stage he called himself an entrepreneur because he definitely was. He Mm. grew his company CD Baby in the early 2000s and uh, famously sold it for over 30 million bucks. I reckon you could roll around calling yourself an entrepreneur. Yeah, you get at least a decade of calling
0: yourself an entrepreneur if you sell your company for tens of millions.
1: Much more than a lot of the other people on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) They call themselves an entrepreneur. (laughs) Entrepreneur. (laughs) Haven't sold shit yet. But then, eventually, after 10 years, he realized, oh, hang on, can I keep calling myself that? I've had 10 years without doing anything to do in business. Obviously, at some point, you can no longer hold that same title you used to have, particularly if you're not earning it like you Mm. used to.
0: Yeah. He says the title that you call yourself, you need to keep earning it and there is like an expiration date for him when he realized that he hadn't started a new company for 10 years. He struggled to call himself an entrepreneur it's a bit like the the fifty five year old midlife crisis bloke who who was the quarterback in high school who's still living off that fame who's still calling himself an athlete mm. even though he's a he's 20 or thirty pounds overweight and he probably hasn't uh, hasn't uh, got a above a, a slow jog for a long time
1: yeah well, sitting next to the steam room next to Warwick Kappa a very famous <laughs> AFL superstar and chatting to him and uh, only living back through his, his heydays. And I think he was high on cocaine when I was next one. And um, anyway, which is a big sidebar, but just an example of people just clinging to those old
0: things. Yeah. You really need to stop fooling yourself. Whatever titles you call yourself, whether it's a obviously an official title at work, but also just a, a more casual title, if you call yourself a musician or an athlete or a swimmer or a business person or whatever you call yourself, if you haven't done it for a long time, you got to think if you're can still call yourself that you have got to be very clear and very honest about what was in the past and what is in the present
1: now the element that we've all got that defines who we are today and is going to predict what our title is going to be in the future it all comes down to our character
0: so Derek Sivers he used to work in the music industry in New York Um, But after a while, he left. Obviously, as we said, he built up his business. Then he went and lived and traveled in different countries all over the world. He went back to New York about 15 years later, got the old gang back together of all the people he used to work with. And he found that pretty much every single person ended up exactly where he expected, in the sense that the people who were disciplined, they achieved success. The people who were a bit temperamental, they flamed out. The people who exhibited a bit of leadership back then they were now leaders the ones who blamed the world for all their problems they were still blaming the world for all their problems so he said it didn't matter if they were the unpaid intern at the bottom of the rung if they showed good character and good intent and good discipline and worked hard they actually ended up achieving success and of course the ones who were already famous at the time if they seemed a bit fragile everything came tumbling down so the character was what predicted their future
1: if you've ever been to a 10-year reunion at your school, you probably would have experienced this exact same thing. I had mine a few years ago. Have you had yours yet, Ash Joe? Uh, it was
0: last year, cancelled for COVID. Hopefully postponed, not cancelled, hopefully. But yeah, you, I
1: think most people would find this exact same thing, right? Like the ones who were working really hard, maybe a bit geeky at school. <laughs> and then you got your jocks who were just bullying all the geeks. Well, the tables turn big time <laughs> 10 years later and the geeks have the last laugh.
0: Yeah, so this character is absolutely vital uh, and thankfully, character, it's not something you're born with. It's not set in stone. It's not fixed by your DNA. Character is really a choice and it's probably uh, a better description. It's, a, it's a, the combination or the accumulation of all of the little choices you make and all those little steps that you take. So the small actions we take uh, change our character and then our character determines where we end up. So, doing small things like saying yes when someone asks for volunteers or approaching a a famous person and introducing yourself or just reading a book, listening to a podcast, taking a course, opening yourself to new ideas, all of these small little actions uh, contribute to the character that you take on.
1: After you take this initial step, you'll start viewing yourself as you've taken that action. So, if you do something that is a little bit scary, you'll actually start taking on the identity and character of Brave or if you actually complete something that you thought was difficult, you might start calling yourself and seeing yourself as as an achiever. And as you iterate with these small actions, it's a positive feedback loop to developing a new character which is really going to determine what your future is going to be. Once we get on a roll of the path, we're going in the subconscious mind just gets in its loop. Time absolutely flies by and uh, the years go and the years go. But we never really catch ourselves sitting there and going, you know, what, what, why am I doing mm. what am I doing? Having said that, I don't know if I've ever asked yeah. that. It's <laughs> probably a good time after sometimes, this segment.
0: Yeah, sometimes we ask, you know, what are we doing? What are we going to do next? We very rarely stop to think why are we actually doing that. Uh, often, we're just guided by social pressures and social norms. They're extremely powerful Uh, They send us down specific paths or specific actions or specific trajectories or lifestyles or journeys, uh, but we never really consciously think about them. And if we don't stop to think, then we just end up going along with the herd and and, uh, going along with everybody else expects us to do. Powerful idea. One day you will be on your deathbed
1: and you will be breathing your last breaths and you will be gasping and you'll be thinking, shit. (laughs) Maybe that's an understatement, but you'll be thinking, shit, right? Like... Imagine that feeling of regret looking back and think, never asking that question, Mm. why am I doing it? You just hurdled along like this bloke on a horse just running into Mm -hmm. the, (laughs) just where the horse wanted to go kind of thing. You never actually taken in the reins of your life and choosing the direction that you want yourself.
0: Yeah. He says, if you want to make a lot of money, that's fine, but just admit that that's why you're doing it. If you want to be famous, uh, pursue that and admit that maybe being famous means uh, you don't make a lot of money, but you're the person in the limelight. Or if you want to make a lot of money, maybe it means you are taking a back step and you're not going to be famous. Um, there's all these things you've got to just admit to yourself. What do you actually want to do, uh, not just what does everybody else think you should do?
1: We have to know and understand our own preferences as well, our own little quirks and differences compared to everyone else because these are the things that make us who we are and this is what we need to protect from all those social pressures to conform.
0: And you've also got to remember, uh, whatever you pick, Whether it's money, whether it's status, whether it's fame, whatever it is you pick, someone is always going to say that you're wrong for picking Mm. that thing. Someone's always going to say, why are you doing this? You should be doing something else. So, ahead of time, you've got to realize that not everyone's going to agree with your choices.
1: So, you need to expect this criticism in advance. So, say for example... You know, your, your family might value something else or your friends and they want to go out for all these family dinners and these boutique restaurants and things like that and you're thinking, no, nah, I just want to go out and get a kebab. This <laughs> just sounding pretty specific, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this happened about three weeks ago. <laughs> Obviously, you're going to get, uh, you might cop a little bit for not being all about the bouginess and just going out and get a cheesy kebab, but if that's what, how you want to live and have your own quirks, expect this criticism in advance because it's just going to be a little collateral damage for living your own uniqueness.
0: Okay, so we've said that uh, we shouldn't just be going along with the herd and we shouldn't just be conforming to all of the social pressures. Uh, you need to take a step back and ask yourself why, what are your greater purposes or your reasons Uh, for doing what you're doing. So, how do we actually go about trying to work out, well, what should we be doing? How do we choose something that we should be doing?
1: The obvious option is always there. It's the conformist one. You just go along with what everyone else wants you to do. But really, the world, it's got this smorgasbord of ideas and different paths that we can always be choosing. There's always this opportunity cost as well of not choosing all the alternative options. So, there's a whole bunch that we're not just seeing right now.
0: Yeah, it's very funny when someone says, oh, I've got to do this, I've got no other choice. But you've always got a choice. If he says, well, at least you can add two more to that list. One is do nothing. That's an obvious one that Mm. you can add to the list. He also says is go crazy by feeling that you have to do something and you don't want to do it. That's another one to add to the list. Um, He also says if someone says, oh, I've got two options, A or B, it means they got stuck. They thought of two things and then they stopped thinking about new ones. They just started comparing the pros and cons. He says there's always a shitload of choices.
1: I think the most common one is people thinking, oh yeah, should I be sticking in my job uh, or quitting my job or changing to job? So, you know, there's maybe three different options and it's pretty common this circumstance to see nothing else that's on the table.
0: Yeah, exactly. If you might just think, uh, you know, I hate my job so I want to quit and start a business and you think oh, I've got two options, one, quit and start the business, two, Give up on the business and just say, "I just got to cop it. I just got to stay in this job." So you think you've, your two options is either stay in the job or quit and start a business. But of course, there's a whole bunch of different options that you could do. One is you can work during the day and start the business at night. One is you can show up to work but actually work on your business until you get caught. One <laughs> is to make a proposal to the big boss to say, "Hey, let's. I've got this idea. Let's start it as a new division." So you're effectively keeping the job and getting paid to start your business. One. Just do nothing. Do neither. Yeah. Just go to South America, live cheap, go to the beach, become a wilderness guide. So there's a whole bunch of different options that don't just become A or B.
1: Go well in that second one there. Yeah, are up to work, but secretly work with secretly working the business all day. <laughs> I think of a few a few extra people doing that, especially in the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic. And if you read uh, read a few productivity books You just get the the shit you meant to
0: do you're done yeah, anyway. Tick that off and then start doing some other stuff as well. But not me, of course. <laughs> no, neither, neither of us, obviously. Um, a whole bunch of great insight can come from opening your mind to all these different options. Uh, if you give yourself like an hour to just brainstorm all these different ideas, if if you ever come to a decision and say, oh, I've got to do A or B, I don't know what I want to do, you can just that's pretty much a clear sign that you've stopped thinking about other options. If you give yourself an hour to think of all the other options that are on the table, it turns these painful, forced, uh, either-or dilemmas into something more, much more enjoyable.
1: One of the risks of actually inventing all these options is that it actually gets hard to actually move in some kind of direction and be somewhat decisive. Siva says, don't be a donkey, and a metaphorical donkey we're talking about now. This is based on one of Aesop's fables, Birdian's Donkey, and this is where you've got one that's standing halfway between a pile of hay and halfway between a bucket of water. Keeps looking left and right, left and right, trying to decide between hay or water, hay or water. And unable to decide, eventually dies of hunger and thirst. Man, that reminds me of um, the the footy, footy pie. pie. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. Really? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. We actually had the same thought. But anyone in Australia show remember that ad where you got uh, oh, you tell it, Oh no,
0: that's, well, that's basically it. footy pie, footy pie. What do you want? Do you want footy or pie? And the poor bloke decides to eat the footy, <laughs> <laughs> and that's panics. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, like this this donkey, if you if you got two options. Uh, you know, hay or water and it dies of hunger and thirst, the donkey's not thinking of the future. Obviously, all the donkey needs to do, go over and nibble on the hay first and then go and drink the water and he's both fed and uh, and what's the opposite of fed? Drunk, drank, drunk. His thirst has been quenched. Quenched. <laughs> quenched. But uh, so Sivis says that we're, we often act like donkeys. You might think if you're 30 years old and you've got six different things you want to do, six different big projects, you think, well, I've got to do them all at once. I can't decide which one I want to do. Sivis says, well, just pick one, do it for 10 years and then pick the second one, do it for 10 years. And by the time you turn 90, you've done all six for 10 years each. Mm. So it's not saying you, like you can plan ahead. You can think to the future. You don't have to do all six at once. Just do one first and then the next one later. Just like the donkey, we can go and eat the hay first and then go and get the water.
1: Yeah, this focus on the one thing and the one action, the one time is actually going to help you in the long run. And it's a common thing because most people overestimate what they can do in one year and they underestimate what they can do in 10 years. So if we're thinking long term, we can use the future to our advantage and we can avoid being short-sighted and being that donkey
0: like you were just talking about. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Sivers gives us like a, a bit of a lens or a filter through which to make a, a decision about what's worth doing. And he says, you've got to ask yourself three questions. One is what makes you happy. Two is what's smart, as in what's good for you in the long term. And three is what is useful to others. So he says a good thing that's worth doing is happy, smart and useful.
1: And we run into some issues when just even one of them is missing from this uh, awesome tree. I really love this. So, let's say you've got something that's smart and useful, but you leave out the happiness. So, this is really the stereotypical of just doing what society wants you to do, maybe going to school, getting the best grades, getting into the most obvious, hardest to get into industries, whether it be law or medicine, and going out there and making lots of money. Yes, you're useful to society because you've got these rare and valuable skills. You're very smart because you're cultivating that, but you're not going to be very happy. So, In this sense, this is missing that link and would not necessarily be the best thing to do.
0: Another thing you can do is you can be happy and smart, but you forget about the useful side of it. So that's like your your stereotypical lifestyle designer, the hustler or the self-help addict, the silver bullet chaser. They're always looking for ways to improve their life. They're looking for ways to be happy, but they're always looking for passive income hacks. They're not actually trying to be genuinely beneficial and useful to society. So they end up get caught selling subs. <laughs> not thinking of anyone in particular. Yes, you are, mate. We were there as well, so
1: we've all been there. And uh, the third one, if you got happy and useful but not very smart, this is very stereotypical of charity volunteers. I've been, I've probably been in all three situations at some stage <laughs> in my life. I'd say this is the travelling phase where you're just having loads of fun. Actually, that wasn't very useful. I was just happy. <laughs> In this context, happy and useful. You might have your stereotypical uh, charity volunteers, right? So, they might have got together a, a really expensive university degree, loaded themselves up with debt but spend their whole entire lives finding exotic, impoverished locations to dig roofs and actually donate to charity all their time and uh, they're not really doing anything for their own personal finances.
0: Yeah. So, the problem here is obviously, they're going to be happy uh, doing living this lifestyle, obviously it's useful because they are helping out the underprivileged. But it's not really smart. If they were doing something smart, they could actually rather than go on and digging wells, which someone could do for five or ten bucks an hour, they could go and get a job at a big corporate in the city and make two hundred bucks an hour. Mm. Uh, they they can keep whatever they need to live and donate. You know, ninety percent of what they're doing to dig. I'm just trying to do some quick maths. I could dig 18 times as many wells just by donating that money to someone else who can do it. So happy plus useful. It's not bad, obviously. It's a good thing, but it's still not smart. We need to find that the holy trinity, I guess. We need to find happy and useful and smart. I've got one mate. I'm pretty sure uh, he doesn't listen, so I could mention names. I'll, I'll try not to. but uh, he said What's to his me, name? He said to me, you know him. Um, someone you know, he said to me recently that uh, I'm still like in the learning phase. So, he said from 25 to 30, I'm going to do all I can to learn everything and then from 30 onwards, that's when I'm going to start creating and giving back. Uh, but I'm calling bullshit on that because like that's really just, it's a good excuse to delay doing anything for three or four years just saying, oh, when I get to 30, I'll start doing stuff but also by actually doing stuff, you'll actually learn better. Mm. Uh, rather than just thinking, I'll oh, just learn, 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 and then when I hit thirty, I'll start doing stuff. Which I'm calling BS on that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good call. Calling BS on that, and we can all go down into these loops of finding inspiration, looking for those things that mentally stimulate you, uh, breathe it all in, and being big readers like us too, or everyone listening right now probably loves reading books, and you can just get in that trap of just going reading, 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 reading. Um, But that's only one half of the equation. I think like the the antidote to pretty much any issue in the world is reading books, part one. Part two is doing shit. (laughs) Doing shit, yeah, exactly. Because if you're just reading, then nothing's going to (laughs) happen. And if you're just doing shit, you're not probably informing yourself properly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Sivers, is uh, in a very poetic way. He says that inspiration means, obviously, mental stimulation. But he says inspiration to inspire means to breathe in. He says you've got to breathe out as well. He says, like, all these inspirational ideas, they're really meaningless until you breathe out. And he's saying, as in, breathe out, as in, apply that to your own work. Now, your work could be your work in the office. It could be a work on your side hustle. It could be your work as in your personal relationships, how you act in the world. Whatever you're doing, you need to apply this stuff to the real world. So, learning, breathing in, inspiring, that's good but you actually got to breathe out and start doing some of this shit.
1: One of the common issues a lot of people will bring up is, oh yeah, but I haven't found my passion yet so it's actually really hard to go out there and, and do stuff just because I'm not stimulated towards anything in particular.
0: Yeah, I haven't found my passion yet. It's an easy one. But uh, I think uh, Sivs is right when he says passion, it's not something you find, but it's something that you cultivate. It's something that over time develops. uh, As we, you know, the book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, the passion hypothesis, always looking, what's my passion, what's my passion, Uh, is really a bit of a flawed thinking. Really, your passion comes from the things that you get good at, the things you do repeatedly and start to enjoy more over time.
1: Yeah, it might be very small things that over time you you realize, oh, that's uh, interesting. It gets you stimulated a little bit. And then from there, you might cultivate and just do a bit more in that direction. Or the ultimate way of finding out what you're passionate about from the Sivers motto is actually going out and finding what scares you the most because mm. at least that's just going to get you excited.
0: Yeah, he says, say yes to everything. Uh, you know the, the title of this book is Hell Yeah or No, but he's saying at the very start, say yes to everything. If you read a blog post about programming and it tickles you in ways that you haven't been tickled before, Oof. then go and program. Like Just test it out for a few hours. See if you like it or not. Or if you find an online course that sounds interesting, learn about it, have a play around with it, then uh, then maybe it might become your new calling. You never know. You're saying say yes to everything. Go to more events, uh, read more books, listen to more podcasts, try out new things. Just say yes to anything that comes your way and uh, and see where it takes you.
1: I remember early days on the podcast, we were just saying yes to any opportunity we had, particularly when it came to interviews because in the, what Steve is saying here, like, like anything that scares you a little bit, probably got a bit of growth in there. So, we were just saying yes to everyone and we were really scared and a bit nervous before
0: every interview. But and I remember the first one we did, which took us a long time to get, by the way. It was about seven months before someone finally said yes to us, but I was scared for the whole day leading up to it, just scared for the, the 20, 30-minute interview that we did. mm-hmm Absolutely, and it, and over time, how many interviews have we done now? Forty, fifty, I think more. Thirty. Somewhere between sixty to seventy, I reckon. Okay, that. and how nervous were you for the last one? Yeah, not definitely nowhere near as nervous. Definitely, like that that period got shorter. Like it was probably like six hours at start, and the second one was like three hours, and it was like one hour, and now it's just sort of like yeah, uh, not even that interested anymore. Where it's just like the fear or the nerves sort of aren't there anymore. And he says it's it's really a good thing to do is do things that scare you because. Really, once you do it, then you're not scared of it anymore. Mm. So, it's a good way to force yourself to grow. So, you'll probably hit that stage now. We're still open to interviews, but it's going to be very high
1: caliber of person. And we've switched, like Sivers is saying here, to the mode where you go from saying yes to absolutely everything, but then eventually hit a point where you start saying no to everything and prioritizing what you say no to becomes more important.
0: Yeah, he says, once you find – you've said yes to everything and then once you find something extra rewarding, you switch strategies to focusing all your energies on this one thing. So, you're not just casually dabbling in it anymore. Strike while it's hot. Be a bit of a freak, he says. Uh, Give it everything you've got. So, put all of your focus onto this one thing and say no to a whole bunch of other stuff.
1: So, our strategies have changed now and we need to start saying no to things and this means in some context quitting something you might love as a way of bringing something new and different into your life.
0: Yeah. He says if there's something that you've been doing for a long time, uh, And if you're enjoying it, obviously that's a good thing, but sometimes you might need to painfully cut something out of your life. So you need to almost release yourself or free yourself uh, by getting rid of something that's taken up a lot of your life. It actually leaves a bit more space for you to commit to the next big opportunity that comes along instead. So it's not going to be easy, but sometimes you might just have to look at one of those hobbies and think, uh, where is this taking me? How does this game end? Maybe I've got to free myself from this and be open to some new possibilities and some new growth.
1: So when we're saying yes to everything in our lives, we're filling it up to the absolute brim. Once it's filled to the brim, then we don't necessarily need to be bringing more stuff in. So the filter that Derek Sivers uses at this stage is, if anything comes your way, the feeling that qualifies brings something into your life is this, hell yeah, that would be awesome. And if you don't get that feeling inside of you, then this is when you should be saying no. Exactly.
0: So this is probably where the nuance comes in. Everyone just watch the TED Talk or listen to the Tim Ferriss interview and just thinks, oh, yeah, hell yeah or no. So, I've got to just, if it's not hell yeah, I say no. Say no and just hang on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> just do nothing. But, of course, the nuance is, well, at first, you've got to say yes to everything. It's when you start start to kill it in one particular area, that's when you start to say hell yeah or no. So, that's when we start saying yes to less. If things aren't uh, feeling awesome, if things aren't, you think, oh, this is going to be a massive opportunity that's going to take me to the next step, that's when you've got to start saying no to all those mediocre offers that you're really half-hearted about.